0: One question, one topic, multiple perspectives for each one, you are listening to The Young Catholic Podcast. My name's Margaret, and let's do it. friends after much anticipation about this topic i am so glad to be back here with you all most importantly i am excited to finally be releasing episodes all about even though if you listen to my last episode you totally know what we're talking about today but i'm still going to do it the eucharist I have been doing quite a few interviews leading up to today and actually for the next release day in July. And I I just have to say, there are so many mic drop moments in the upcoming episodes, including the ones that you will be listening to shortly. I cannot wait for you all to listen to them. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Send us your questions at tycpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at catholic underscore podcast. Do make sure to check out our, is it story? Stories? I think if it's only one story, it would be story. That would make most sense. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, Do check out our story because I will often go on there and give you the opportunity to send in your questions instead of having to go on the website. Um, A few weeks back, I actually had you guys vote on which topic that you wanted to listen to next. Um, And just other fun things like pictures of my yellow English Labrador who is just adorable and you have no idea how hard that was to say without doing the baby voice. Pet owners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Funny story, a few years back, I was in Europe with my aunt and uncle. And we would all crack up laughing because every time I would see a dog, it, it, it actually became a game. Every time I would see a dog, I would just do this baby talking voice i know it sounds so weird to explain it but i know you guys know what i'm talking about and for my european listeners i'm sorry i'm not sorry (laughs) because i totally did it it was uh just just thinking back on it it was what a time do i remember the eiffel tower yes but most importantly what do i remember i remember (laughs) finding dogs and just yeah what a great time okay I i need i need to calm down Um, I promise I am a mature adult, but when it comes to dogs, the inner child, it just comes out. I know we have only done this one time. I think it was back in April. Yes. Wow. Uh, So I know we've only done this one time. So just a reminder for each topic from now on, all of the episodes regarding them are released on one day. And that is the first Monday of the month. So the episodes that you see here today, which are two episodes, uh, yes, two episodes regarding the Eucharist, they are available to you now. And the next time I upload episodes, it will be on a new topic. So just a quick reminder. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm rushing (laughs) too, too much. I just know, I just just want you guys to listen to these episodes. It's really exciting. Without further ado, friends, Here is Father Andrew Rudman talking about the Eucharist and talking about, oh man, just some great questions for him and for Father Brad in the next episode. So here we go. First one The Last Supper was intended to be the new Passover. What parts of the new Passover were carried over from the original Passover?
1: Okay, that's a very good question. But we're gonna, we're gonna like redesign this question a little bit, okay? Okay. So, what I would say is that the Last Supper is not the new Passover, but it's the fulfillment of the Passover. This is like the biblical language. And so I'm going to begin by talking about what was the original Passover? Like what, what happened? Cause this, the Passover was like the most significant moment in Israel's history. So significant that God said, keep this as a memorial every year. And every year you go through this and you say these, like they even have like a ritual where it's like, why is this night? Unlike any other, like they have like a call and response. Like we are going to relive and remember this moment every single year so that we never forget what God has done for us. Like, and the answer to that is like, why is this night unlike any other? And the response is this is in, in scripture and the Jews are still doing it today. And it's runs is like, because this is the night that our Lord, something like this is the night that our Lord through his mighty hand, saved us and delivered us from Egypt or, you know, something like that. So the old Passover, what happened? Israel, God's people are enslaved. They're enslaved, they are in servitude to Pharaoh, and they are not free to worship. They're not free to live. They are slaves. And so the Lord, through Moses, goes, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. And then the final, that final plague, the final let people go, then God gives them specific instructions. He says the angel of death is going to sweep through Egypt And is going to take the life of the firstborn child of every single man, beast, whatever. Like everyone, the firstborn, we're going to take the angel of death is going to come in. And but you, my people, I will save by the blood of the lamb. So what you do is you you gave us those instructions, right? So you sacrifice this, this lamb, has to be a certain age, has to be without any disease. That's what the blemish means, like unblemished, no disease, nothing wrong with it perfect a perfect young lamb you sacrifice the lamb and you place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel and I will pass over the homes that have the blood so they do that they have the Passover meal and they follow all the instructions that the Lord gave them and that night the angel of death comes through the city passes over the Israelites but then takes the life of the firstborn and then Pharaoh finally says go. So through the Passover, then Israel is freed and saved, saved from death by the blood of the lamb and set free by the blood of the lamb, set free to go to the promised land. They are now free. They're they're not slaves anymore. And they're free to travel to the promised land. And they go through this journey in the desert. You know the rest of the story. So Jesus and his apostles, 2,000 years ago, we're going to Jerusalem to keep the Passover, and we know that that's in Scripture. Like they, they were good Jews, and they go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And why do they go to Jerusalem? Because in Jerusalem is the temple, and the temple is the only place—it's the place where they can offer sacrifice. Nowhere else can the Jews offer sacrifice. Can they sacrifice the lamb? They have to do it at the temple. So they come to Jerusalem and they offer sacrifice at the temple. And then they celebrate the Passover meal. And we know that Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal because he sends his apostles. He says, prepare the, uh, you know, he, there's the, I can't remember which gospel it's in, but and, you know, he says, you know, you're going to find a man. He's got a jar and tell him, I, this is where I'm going to prepare the meal and, and to eat with my disciples. He goes into Jerusalem. We see Palm Sunday. He's hailed as king. All of these things and wise Why is he hailed as king? And why is he, uh, you know, are all these people there? They're all there because they're there to celebrate the Passover of the Lord. So he's at the Last Supper. Celebrating the Passover with his disciples. But he changes it forever. And he says, instead of remembering what God has done in the past, he says, this he takes the bread. He says, this is my body, which will be given up for you. He takes the chalice. He says, this is my blood, which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says something very important. Do this in memory of me. With those words came the first ordination. That was the moment when he commanded his apostles to do this in memory of me he changed the Passover forever and, and and now it's the Last Supper and now it's the Mass. This was the first Mass. And instead of a sacrificial lamb, you have Jesus and he, through his sacrifice, one sacrifice for the salvation of the world was going to free all of us, not just from... So but what, going back to the Old Passover, what was the Old Passover? They were enslaved to Pharaoh and they wanted to live in the Promised Land. Well, the real problem with human humankind is sin that we are enslaved by our sin and we're enslaved to satan so the real freedom that we want is a freedom from sin and the real death that we are trying to avoid or to to be freed from because from sin sin leads to death and not just any death but eternal death that we an eternity without god sin turns us away from god and so we have an eternity without god and so jesus not only saves us, frees us from sin, but he also frees us from death, from eternal death, through his sacrifice, through his blood, which is the fulfillment. And so that, okay, so there's that. So it's the fulfillment of the Passover. But it's always helpful whenever we're looking at these things to remember that this is all one story. It's not two stories. It's not separate stories. This is all one story. It's all in the context of what we call salvation history that there is one God and this one God created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see. And the same God created human beings. He created Adam and Eve. He created each and every one of us. This is one God who has one love for his people. And his one desire is to live eternally with his creatures in this communion. And with sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, they walked away from God and they broke that communion And so they were separated. And now the whole story of salvation is God bringing his people back, bringing his people back, teaching them again who he is, who they are, who they're called to be, and leading them to this point where they can not just live in the promised land of this creation, but the promised land of heaven. That's the real promised land, to be freed from sin, to live in communion with God for eternity. And so um, it's one story. So God is calling us to himself to live in communion with him forever. And in the Old Testament in Israel, he is teaching them and preparing them so that when his son comes, when Jesus, when when God becomes man, takes on human flesh, and when God offers himself in Jesus to sacrifice himself for our salvation— so we have we have an understanding of what exactly that means. The reason we understand all that stuff is because of what's been set up in the past. Because he sh- he because there's a lamb of sacrifice. Because there's a Passover. There's a movement from slavery into freedom. There's a movement from from death to life. There's a movement through water. Like all of the the ways in which we've seen God act through salvation history, especially in the Old Testament, was a preparation so that everything that Jesus did could be understood through what God had taught and prepared us for in the beginning, that our eyes can actually be open to see what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying, what Jesus means and what it means for us that we have this whole time of preparation to see the fulfillment like God throughout the whole Testament is basically saying, I'm something is going to happen. I'm preparing you for real freedom. I'm preparing you for salvation I'm preparing you for something that is beyond your wildest imagination, but I'm teaching you along the way. And so, yeah.
0: So I guess you can say that the original Passover was the biggest foreshadowing event ever.
1: Yeah, that was, I mean, and that was, that's it. And so that's, I mean, and you see that in the fact that like, you take the biggest event, the most like significant salvific event in Israel's history, and then Jesus is remembering that event while he changes and and creates the and remembers but in a different way remember like makes present the most the most significant event in our salvation. Literally, this is my body. This is my blood. Calling to mind that what he is doing and does has done for us on the cross. That is the moment of salvation. That is the Passover of the lamb. That is the moment where we are freed from sin by the blood of the lamb and born into, into this new life and led to the promised land. Boom. Like that's just like, that's, that is the fulfillment.
0: Next question I have for you. Do we know the significance of bread and wine? Were these elements important in the Jewish tradition?
1: Yes, they were. Um, not only because of uh, the fact that they were available to everyone. So everyone, you know, had this bread and wine, but there are just a few, you know, uh, a few points on like significant moments for bread and wine. So uh, we have this, this character that, um, that Abraham meets named Melchizedek and Melchizedek is a priest before there are like priests, Abraham was the first one to have, like, this contact with God, right, since since before, like, Adam and Eve, right? So, like, God reveals himself to Abraham, and so Abraham, he's walking through, and he, and he, he meets Melchizedek. And Melchizedek offers a sacrifice to the living God of bread and wine. And we see this moment where, like, this it, it's a significant passage in Scripture because it's like, this is a priest who's serving the living God, the true God, who we only really know that Abraham knows, but somehow Melchizedek, you know, understands that, and he's living out in in truth like this site, and he's offering sacrifice of bread and wine, and so, fast forward to like now to the new covenant, the new testament, the new testament priests, what they say, uh, they Melchizedek is mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer, first of all, and what they say to a priest like myself is that you are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Like since Melchizedek, like this is, this is so, so eternal priest. It's crazy. So, okay. So there's bread and wine there. There's also uh, in the, in the temple, they would have what's called show bread. So like in, in, in uh, part of the temple sanctuary, they would have this bread that was like a, an offering, a constant offering to the Lord from the first fruits, like of, of the the fruit of the earth and work of human hands. And so they have this showbread here. And we know about the showbread because, I mean, they talk about it, they reference it, but also that was like the bread that, that was given to David and his companions. And they said, well, this is really only for the priests, but David made this, you know, he said, he said, Hey, we we've been, we're purified. We have, you know, they actually, he says like, we've been uh, set apart from women. We are, we're on a mission. And he said, you know, of like, and this is the we have this need and so he's like okay we can i can give you the showbread the priest said so like we know about that that showbread which is very interesting um and then even with the passover like the specific instructions that you're to eat unleavened bread like it has to you know you don't have time for it to rise the unleavened bread uh period so like going through significant so yeah it's a, it's a part of the passover it's a part of their history it's a part of the temple it's always been around and it's a very um yeah that's what i'd say so so that would there's so much more to say i'm sure uh, about the significance of it but like those are just a few points on how how it's been you know we see it in the old testament and in the use of israelites
0: that's perfect awesome so here's one that i was quite curious about jesus is called the lamb of god <clears throat> why does he use bread to represent himself rather than a lamb. Because I know that Jesus is referred to as the Paschal Lamb. Um, We often hear that. So I was just kind of curious how come he didn't decide to continue with what was originally done in the first Passover meal. Yeah.
1: Okay. So in the same, not in the same way, but whenever we're looking at these images, it's always a relationship of, the, the Bible word or you know is, is typology there's like the type and the, basically the fulfillment let's talk about fulfillment language so all of these images and and signs and even people in Old Testament history Jesus fulfills in some way he's the fulfillment of all that was that came before him and so the the lamb of sacrifice is is a sign it's a symbol of the true lamb. And what he means by the true lamb is I am the one I am going to be the victim. I am going to be the one that's going to offer myself once for the salvation of the world, the complete fulfillment of this act of offering of these lambs who are just beasts. Right. And it's just it's basically like, God, take this offering, this sacrifice as a sign of of what I want to give to you. I'm I'm I, I, I can't offer myself. You know, I'm imperfect. I can't offer myself. And I only have one life, so I'm gonna offer this lamb instead of myself. And God says, Okay, that'll be acceptable for me for now. But the reality is none of that was acceptable. None of that was enough. And the, and the price for sin is blood, is is there needs to be death. Death, there's a price to pay for sin. And so this was the offering of the so like, Lord So then Jesus is he says, I am the Lamb of sacrifice, and I will offer myself for the salvation of the world. So that's the imagery there, and even we see like going back to Abraham again, when Abraham is about to to sacrifice Isaac, God stays His hand and says no, like and, and the angel says, the Lord will provide the lamb sacrifice, the Lord will provide the victim, and what He's talking about is He's gonna, the Father is going to give His Son for the salvation of the world. So we're waiting for that fulfillment. So that's that's the the lamb imagery. That's why and, and because the lamb was what was, they were instructed that he, Israelites were instructed, this is what you offer in sacrifice for the Passover. That's from that blood, from the blood of the lamb. So, well, two, two things really. So like the Passover through the blood of the lamb, we are spared from death and we were set free from slavery. But also they had another, another ritual where they would once a year, I think it's Yom Kippur. I think it's what they do where they would sacrifice a lamb uh, or the, well, they, they put the sins of the people on one lamb, and it's the scapegoat, and they'd send it out. They'd sacrifice another. That's like where we get the term scapegoat. We're like all the sins of the people are put on this this lamb, and and that's and through Aaron the priest. So Aaron would 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 literally was told to put his ha- hands on the on the lamb, and all the sins of the people were placed on this lamb, sent apart, and then another lamb was offered in sacrifice. And it was once a year. It's the the feast of atonement, atonement for sin that a lamb had to be slain for the sake of the sins of the people. So for the for the Jews, for the Israelites, when Jesus refers to himself as the lamb of God, they understand it's so deep for them because the the lamb imagery is like, oh, lamb, save blood saves us from sin, blood forgives our sin, blood of uh, you know, this sacrifice is a representation of us for freedom. And so when he says, yeah, I'm going to wash you clean by the blood of the lamb. I'm going to forgive you of your sins by the blood of the lamb. I'm going to set you free by the blood of the lamb. That's all been set up through the teaching, through God's pedagogy. They call it like the divine pedagogy, how God has been preparing the people to see that. So that's why he refers to him as the lamb. But your question, you know, why? So then why doesn't Jesus take the the flesh of the lamb and and use that? I would say this Um, one because in order to have the flesh of the lamb, you have to sacrifice a lamb. And I think that that takes away from the fact that he is the sacrifice, the offer, the, the victim of sacrifice. He's the victim. There's no other victim. He is the victim. Um, So there's that. Also, I would say it's not so much about the, the lamb as it is about the bread. And so we look, Oh, and also, gosh, you know, forgot about a really really significant moment of bread in Israel's history is the manna uh, which fell from heaven right so that's that's very important so we look at the image of manna this is the bread from heaven the bread that came down from heaven to feed the people to sustain them in their journey so they were freed from slavery of Pharaoh they were on their journey to the promised land and God fed them with this bread from heaven and so Jesus In John chapter 6, in the Bread of Life discourse, he starts with that manna image. And he says, I am the true bread, came down from heaven. And and Jesus Jesus uses bread so much, right? So actually, even before he starts talking about the manna from heaven, he multiplies the loaves and the fish. So he takes bread. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. And he multiplies this loaf, this miraculous multiplication of bread. And then... He tells them, talks to them, he's like, you're coming to me because your stomach was filled. But I want you to know, like, when your ancestors were in the desert, they ate the manna, the bread from heaven, and they died. And then he goes and he says, but I am the true bread that came down from heaven. So I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. So he uses the image that they know in their history, right? So they know about the manna. And they know that manna was miraculous and they know that manna came from heaven. That's this, this is like, this came from the heavens and they know that manna sustained them in the desert, that this bread from heaven sustained them in their journey as they were going on to the promised land. And so Jesus says, okay, I just multiplied these loaves. I just made this miraculous multiplication, this supernatural appearance of bread, bread from heaven. And he says, all right, So now that your stomachs are full and you're coming to me because your stomachs are full, I want you to see this as a lead on. I'm leading you to fulfillment. And so your ancestors ate manna from the desert and they died. This bread that fills our stomachs, you eat that and you die. You know that you need it to survive in this life, but you will still die. It's not, this is not eternal bread. But he said, but I, okay, in the same way that you see that the manna came down from heaven, there's a bread that sustains you in this life and takes you to the next life. I am that bread. The image that you know, I'm the fulfillment of that image. I am the bread of life. And anyone who eats this bread will not die and will live forever and will never hunger again. And so he's moving them from this natural place to a supernatural place. And that's what leads to. You know, and so, so, so that's his, he uses bread over and over and over again. And he wants us to make that connection between, okay, bread sustains us in the wilderness, bread come down from heaven. I am this bread. And then he does something really important. He's had, he has the bread image and he says, the bread that I will give you is my flesh. My flesh for the life of the world. So then he's saying, okay, miraculous bread, bread from heaven. I am that bread. And it's if you if you were confused and you thought I was being like symbolic, uh, no, it's my flesh. It's my flesh for the life of the world. Anyone who you you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In John 6, it's like he says it like three or four times eat my flesh and drink my blood. So any if you were ever confused, if Jesus was like trying to be symbolic, no, he was saying that there's something about bread that is his. And and there's something about him, so he's the bread of life. It's my flesh, it's my blood. Okay, so then he's at the Last Supper, and he's taking bread, and he's talking to the group of people who have heard all that he's been teaching about bread. They saw the 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 miraculous uh, multiplication of the loaves and the fish. They saw, they heard his bread of life discourse. They heard him talk about his flesh and blood. They're at the Passover, and they're they're faithful Jews. You know, so they know they know the history of the Passover. They know the sacrifice of the lamb. They know that the blood frees us from sin. They know that there's – that, and they know who Jesus is. They've come to know and believe who Jesus is. And now this Jesus, God incarnate, is now bringing all of that together when he says, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. The bread, this is the bread, came down from heaven. And this bread is my flesh. And it's still in the form of bread, mysteriously, but it is not bread at all. And so that's, yeah, so so the focal point is not on the lamb, it's on the bread. And the way that bread was used throughout salvation history to become the body of Christ.
0: Excellent. Do you ever wonder if the apostles at the time being... Like, I don't know. Like when when I when I think about that night when they're celebrating the Passover, do you think they knew like something's about to change? I don't know. I just can't. I mean, I would have loved to have just kind of been in the corner of the room, or just kind of in 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 the background of them, kind of walking to go to the Last Supper, just to see if they had any idea about what was about to happen. I don't know.
1: I I think that it it definitely so. I mean, even with us, we have all this knowledge and reflection of two thousand years of church history, and we can go to mass, and um, and when we go to mass, like sometimes, actually, all the time, like we're receiving communion before we even like realize what hit us, right? You know, it's like, whoa, right? And I think that it's it was the same thing for them that it's it's only in, in taking that time of reflection and really pondering these mysteries and like like the gospel writers like john so john writes his gospel the he's the last one to write it and it's after really contemplating all this stuff so he's the one that writes the bread of life discourse and he's been living and contemplating this for i mean i don't know how long. maybe like you know 60 years 70 years i don't know how long i mean but it was it was a long time and john john was not a martyr and he was the probably the youngest of the group. So he saw these things, he's reflected on these things and he's the one that's able to like put that to the forefront after years of contemplation. And so like it, it took time for them to realize what happened, but the Holy spirit will like, like Jesus is saying to us has said, you know, he's like the spirit will teach you and remind you of all the things that I've taught you. So like that, that's how that works. Um, something else I wanted to say though about bread. Um, so in, in, In the Mass, I think one of the coolest parts um, that can be easily missed is is the offertory. And the prayer of offering is, you know, uh, it's blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. For through your goodness, we have this bread to offer you, which is fruit of the earth and work of human hands. He'll become for us the bread of life. I love that line. It's so good. Mm -hmm. and, And we do the same thing for the wine, like fruit of the earth, fruit of the vine, work of human hands. And so the symbol of bread is this is, is the symbol of us. It's, it's who we are that, that like, okay, it's another significance where it's like the lamb, the flesh of the lamb is flesh of the lamb. That's it's a, it's a creature and we're eating the, the flesh of that creature, but bread doesn't exist in creation. We gather the wheat and we make it into something new and then it becomes an offering and wine does not exist in creation. We collect the grapes, crush them and ferment them and make it into something new and offer it. So it's an offering of ourselves and what Jesus does. And that's in, in the offertory. When we place the bread and wine on the altar, we are placing our lives, all our prayers, works, joys and sufferings placed on the lives. This is us. And he takes us into himself and consecrates us and makes us holy. That's and that's like our participation in the one sacrifice. We give our offering. He connects it to his one offering for the salvation of the world, and so um, that's just another way why where bread is is so such a, such a fit um, substance, I guess, uh, to use for for the Eucharistic matter.
0: We've already touched on this. Um, if you want to elaborate on it, you can. Why do Catholics believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ rather than believe that the Eucharist? is a symbol of Jesus's body and blood. And if I'm not mistaken, I think when I was doing an older interview, I want to say it was with you. Um, we talked about the passage in the Bible that I can't remember the exact verse and, um, gospel writer, but it was when Jesus was giving one of his talks. And then he talks about essentially my flesh, my blood,
1: John chapter six, you know, um, the bread of that's the bread of life discourse.
0: Yes. And some people leave him and then some people stay. Um, And how that, you know, for some people definitely uh, caused concern as to what are you saying right now? It almost sounds, um, I don't want to say cannibalistic, but it just, it just sounds so strange. And that's why so many people wind up leaving him at that time. And for us, like how, how could you say that it's a symbol when people wound up believing because they were so, uh, I don't want to say weirded out because it's not exactly the most eloquent way of putting it, but we're just kind of, I guess freaked out as, as to what he was actually saying in that moment. So, so yeah, I, I don't really know where I was going with that, but I just kind of talked a little bit.
1: No, 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 that's, that's, that's good. You know, there are so many people who think that the Eucharist is just a symbol, you know, why, how do we know that this is the true presence of Christ? And um, and and John sets that up. His, that sixth chapter is so so well done because the way it's structured, Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish, so he shows them that he is the one that makes miraculous bread. Like I have the power to make bread miraculous. Like I can I can make five thousand out of five, you know, or whatever ten thousand, and then. The next thing you see is Jesus walks on water and it's in that scene where he says, uh, you know, don't be afraid. I am like, okay, this is not just like a guy who can work miracles, but this is some this guy can walk on water and he's saying I am. He's claiming the divine name. This is not just a guy. This is this is God.
0: Like, this is the guy. This, this is the guy. guy right? <laughs> right? So
1: he's like, I'm the one that makes miraculous bread. And actually, who am I? I am Yahweh. I am God. And then I'm going to talk to you about the bread of life. So he's I multiply the bread. I can make the miraculous bread. I am God. I am the bread that came down from heaven, and this bread is my flesh for the life of the world. And then they're confused. They're like, what do you mean? Is this symbolic language? And that's why it's so important for us to see, like, there's like three different times he says, you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Like, he's so clear. He says it over and over again. And we know he's clear because of what you said, Margaret. He's, we know he's clear because many left him. Many who were following him said, and this is in Scripture, it says, Man, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Like, what? This is crazy. Like, to eat your flesh, I don't get it. And so they walked away. And he didn't chase them. He didn't say, wait, wait, wait. Let me clarify. I was just being symbolic. Like, you know, like, obviously, I'm not asking you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, what? Am I asking you to be a cannibal? No, he says nothing. And then he looks to his disciples and he says, will you leave too? And that's when Peter says, Master, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in that moment, we see the surrender that we need to have as disciples, where it's like, Jesus, this is a hard saying, and I don't completely understand it. And it's a mystery, especially because it's like the bread and the wine look no different after the consecration. How am I supposed to believe that that's actually your flesh and your blood, that that's actually you? This is a hard saying. But that's when we have to be like Peter and we say, what I do know is who you are. I do know that you are the one true God. I do know that you love me. I do know that you have a plan for me. And I do know that you've spoken to me. Like you've, you've told me what this is. And so if I can't wrap my mind around this mystery, if I can't come to believe it like, like uh, empirically, like it doesn't, I, I just am I just, struggling, at least believe in the one who told us what it is and that's jesus and he said that and so that's enough for peter like i you know what i know i'm not going to understand everything but you are the one who has the words of eternal life and that's what i'm living for and so i'm just going to trust you and i'm going to keep i'm going to keep persevering i would never leave you because i know i know that you're leading me to heaven i know that you're leading me there even though i don't understand all the different turns and like where we're going or, or why we do certain things I do know who's leading me and I'm going to follow him. And so um, and that that's why I say like, you know, how do we know it's not a symbol? It's like, cause Jesus, Jesus told us it's not, you know, he, and, and, and not only was Jesus the one that told us that, but for 2000 years, we have had the inspiration of the Holy spirit to help us to preserve that faith and to deepen that faith and that understanding. And we look at the saints and, and just the, and the doctors of the church who have just written so profoundly
0: on miracles, this mystery. And the miracles too that have and happened. The Eucharist,
1: right. The Eucharistic miracles, which I mean, like cannot be explained that, that this bread turns into flesh, you know, actual flesh, you know? Um, and, and I mean, and, and, and that's, that's still there. It's out there. Um, and so just to, a note to like, uh, the, the it's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that, because I cool. think there's another question that I'll address more.
0: Right. Hasn't there been, a, um, there actually might might have been multiple occurrence, occurrences of this, but I'm thinking of one in particular, because I remember seeing a picture of it where um, a priest was, I th- I'm not sure if it was during the middle of Mass, I want to say it was, that's what would make most sense to me, at least, when he was in the middle of the consecration and the eucharist i think it started bleeding i want to say yeah that's just that's unbelievable. i is it, do you know if, if it was that one time has it happened multiple times
1: yeah there there are
0: it's i mean you can, just, you can just you can
1: literally just look up just just type in eucharistic miracles and um and i mean i know there's like there's there's one place that has like in like a reliquary there's like a one of the, 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 the flesh or whatever in it, like the blood runs every Easter or something. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I know about them. I've heard about them. Oh yeah. Um, I but, just, but you, you just, you can type it in, type in Eucharistic Miracles and, um and there there are many, many of them.
0: Cool. Yeah. And I, and I know for this question too, I just like to really ask that because it is so important and I think it does cause some confusion for some people, or if it's not confusion, if you wind up having a conversation about this with someone else, it can be kind of hard to navigate sometimes, you know? So, Mm -hmm. okay. So during the consecration, what do you as a priest visualize what what is happening spiritually and what should we be visualizing?
1: Okay. So this is really important. Um, and, it's something that I think many people don't know. Um, so the moment of our salvation or the, the one sacrifice for the salvation of the world, the moment where Jesus gives us his body and pours out his blood is what?
0: Good Friday.
1: Right. So when Jesus He said, this is my body, Given up for you. This is my blood, which will be poured out. So when was his body given up? When does his blood poured out? It was in his passion and death. Okay. And that that's the moment. It's because Jesus gave himself in love for us and offered himself in that one sacrifice. He, he, he's not sacrificed multiple times. It was once for the salvation of the world. And what happened was he memorialized that sacrifice in that moment of the last supper so that every single time the mass is celebrated in memory of him. It's, it's actually, so the word, so when do this in memory of me, when the, the Jewish understanding of memorial or remembering, it's not like we see it kind of today where we're like, Oh, I remember something that, that happened in the past, you know, and like, I have such a fond memory of that. no, the Jewish understanding is that when you hold a memorial, when you remember in a liturgical setting, you make present. It's represent is not represent. Like oh, here's this is this is a representation of the reality. No, represent is re-present. We make present again, as if and not even as if, we make pre- we are present again to that mystery. And so, what Jesus set up in the Mass was not just uh, an opportunity for us to make him, you know, like for him to right. like, to, to come down, you know, be, be, Oh, here, here's his body. Here's his blood. Okay. It's great. No, he was making present the moment of our salvation for all time. So he took his sacrifice into a heaven reality. So when we go to mass, we are no longer simply on earth. We are in heaven and in heaven, We are outside of space and time. There is no limitation to space. There's no limitation to time. And so every single mass, we are transported outside of time to that moment in Calvary and to that place of Calvary. And we are at the foot of the cross again. And it's happening for the first time. And that's so important because that is the moment of our salvation. And unless we are there and present for that sacrifice we will not be saved. And that's how he's able to save people through the life of the church, save all people, every person. And that's Mm. why we say in the creed. So how did he, what about, okay. So the question too, this is just a little point. Sure. What about all the people that came before him? That's why he descended to the dead. So he dies on the cross. He offers himself as a sacrifice for salvation for the whole world, for everyone. And then he descends to the dead and he releases and preaches himself to all those who'd been waiting, all the faithful, and he sends them all to heaven. And then for all the future disciples that will be coming, he has his church and he has his priests and his priests celebrate the sacrifice of the mass. And so at the moment of the consecration, what is actually happening? What's really going on is we are at the foot of the cross and he is up there and he's giving his body for you. He's pouring out his blood for you he is offering himself and we are present and so that as well that's what's so significant about the the bread and the wine being fruit of the earth work of human hands because we make our offering we make our sacrifice our little imperfect offering because we can't make a that's the, the whole the whole idea is that we are imperfect and we can't make a make a perfect offering to the father so jesus gives us himself to offer to the father as a perfect offering so let's take the, let's cut out the, the like, you know, the consecration part of the mass, like through the Eucharistic prayer. So I've offered myself in the bread and the wine my whole life. Prayers, works, joys and sufferings, my little sacrifice. And Jesus says, you know what, on your behalf, I'm going to take that into myself. And in the consecration, I am taking you and your offering and I'm uniting it to my sacrifice, which is Perfect for the salvation of you and of the whole world. So you are now part of me, and I'm taking that into myself. And that is why, so at at the consecration of the bread and the wine, he is present, he is on his cross, Mary is there, John is there, we are at the crucifixion, that is what is being pictured. And then, in that big moment called the doxology, when the priest and the deacon or whoever's there lifts up the bread, lifts up Jesus, the chalice and the paten, And says, through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. What is happening in that moment is we, as imperfect human beings, cannot offer a perfect sacrifice to the Father. We cannot offer the offering that we need to for our salvation, for, for freedom. We can't save ourselves. So Jesus gives us himself. And so we are lifting Jesus up. And, the, and that's why we don't say Jesus's name in that doxology. We say through him, with him, and in him. Because, like, we're nothing but through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus, Father, and in because of the Holy Spirit who unites us together, all glory and honor is yours. Look, we can praise you now. We can worship you in, in truth and, and in perfection. We can perfectly worship you in the Mass because— not because of what we can do, but through him, with him, and in him. Jesus gave us an offering. And now the Father says, that is my son. And all he sees is his son. We are the body of Christ. So he sees us making that perfect offering. And we are saved and redeemed. And we are set for eternal life. So that's, that's the vision, right? The vision is at the consecration. And I mean, at the Last Supper, he was already making present what was about to happen. Because it's outside of space and time which is kind of like, pff, you know, yeah. but like, that's what I, when I'm, when I am consecrating, especially when I say, so I, and so, okay. More on a personal note, mm-hmm. Bishop Sheen, Fulton Sheen, he's, he had his big, uh, like concept was the priest victim. And he really connected with that. Like that the priest is victim. Like Jesus is victim. He was the victim of sacrifice. And the priest is supposed to be Jesus in in every, every way. Like he's, he's the the person of Christ, the head. And so therefore he is in the person of Christ, the victim. And so Fulton Sheen said to priests, he said, if the priest is offering that sacrifice in the, in the consecration, he says, this is my body given up for you. If the priest is not connected as a victim and saying those words doesn't actually, uh, have a real sense of him offering himself for the people of God as a victim, there's a real problem. And so I'm always convicted when I say those words and consecration, remembering that right now, what is being made present is Jesus on the cross. That is the reality that invisibly, but really I am at Calvary right now and I am speaking Jesus's words and I am Jesus. I am, I am Jesus. He's speaking, he's speaking through me. And he's offering himself through me, and I have to, in my own life, conform to that. And so I'm thinking specifically, am I giving my body? Am I pouring out my blood for the people that God has put into my care to shepherd? It's a constant every single day. That's a conviction. Am I, f- and I can, am I feeling, do I feel the, the like, the sense of almost exhaustion like a holy exhaustion like is my heart open is my heart torn is my heart broken for these people enough and sometimes sometimes i can say yes like i i've i'm conforming to that reality and other times i'm like no i need to i need to step up my game my heart is not broken enough for these people my my uh my efforts are not enough for these people and i have so much more to give um and so i mean we always have more to give but there are definitely Definitely times where I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you in this, you know. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so that that's what I think about uh, at the consecration.
0: I think for some people, if they haven't heard this, who are listening, um, this can very well be a game changer. I know I usually think of the Last Supper, but to think of, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of walk through the Last Supper. And yeah, to, to, to then, with what you're saying, visualize his passion yeah, it's yeah. It gives me a lot to think about. Okay, I'm just gonna move on to the next question because I'm just gonna keep talking about it. Okay, so next question. When we've already kind of talked about this too, when we receive the Eucharist, what happens to us spiritually? So we are on Calvary watching Jesus, you know, give Himself. That's what we should be visualizing. So what is happening to us during this time?
1: Okay, that's a really good question. Um, so uh, one note that I think is important is uh, something about like the time of pandemic, you know, where we couldn't go to mass, right? The greater problem or the greater uh, deficit of not going to mass was not the inability to receive communion. Nope. Was not it. It was the fact that because we couldn't go to mass, we couldn't be present to the sacrifice and we couldn't make the same. I mean, we can make an offering of ourselves all the time, this is this is a sacramental like institution that Christ gave this moment where we can actually literally go to Calvary. We're there like and that is that is the, the greatest desire of our hearts to be able to pour ourselves out and worship God in that way. So it's so, so much more important for us to go there than even just to receive Holy Communion. And for like 1900 years of church history, people received communion like maybe once a year. That was it. Like, really? Yeah, the frequent, frequent holy communion. That was. I mean, I think it was. Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong, but <laughs> like, it's okay. I, I want to say it was like in 1920s or something like that. But, like they really started doing that more frequently. Um, wow. And never, no one would ever receive the precious blood ever. Just the priest. No, that was never a thing. So um, all this stuff is very new, and uh, and it's important for us to know that. So the the greater the greater Uh, the greatest part about going to Mass is not receiving Holy Communion. It's the fact that we are present at the sacrifice and we get to offer ourselves and unite ourselves to Christ's sacrifice. That is the greatest part of of the Mass. Now, receiving Holy Communion, what happens? So, So, the first thing to say about that is this. It's better to say that in Holy Communion, we are received than it is to say we receive Holy Communion. Um, That's like a a colloquial expression. That's just kind of how we say it, you know. But the reality is, is, who is bringing us into communion? Are we bringing Jesus into communion with us? No, he's bringing us into communion with himself. And so in receiving him, we are received. And so what we should visualize as we receive Holy Communion is that Jesus is taking us once again into himself. And it's a, and he's perfecting that union. So, like with our sins and with our waywardness and our weakness and whatever, we have an imperfect union with with Jesus. Like we can walk away a little bit, it can be broken a little bit, but then he takes us once again into himself, and he gives us the food that sustains us himself, because we are his body. You are the body of Christ in baptism, and, and that's in, in baptism. It's not just we're not just washed clean, separated from God. That's not it. We are taken into God, which purifies us completely. That Jesus, we are outside of him, and then he psh, takes us into himself. And the same, and so the great image is him on the cross. His arms are wide open. His side is open. And in baptism, you know how the, the water, the blood and the water flowed from Jesus' side? In baptism, we psh, we go through the water into Jesus, and we become a part of him. And, and only as a part of him can we enter into heaven. That was the whole point. Without him, we have no offering. We have no entrance. But through him, with him, and in him, we have communion with God. Crazy. Boom. Like craziness. So receiving Holy Communion, when we receive that, we are received into communion with Jesus. And what happens when we all are received into communion with Jesus? We are also in communion with one another our communion is in Jesus it's not it's not separate from that it's because we are all part of one body and in receiving holy communion we actually become closer to the people next to us by receiving holy communion we are more united with those around us because we are we are our union with christ is more perfect and therefore our union with one another is more perfect so the best way to think about holy communion is i am being received into holy communion so there's another question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead to it. Sure. Uh, is is to is why uh, is it important for us to be like I guess the word would be disposed or prepared for Holy Communion, and why is it a problem? Why why should we not receive Holy Communion uh, if we have a mortal sin on our soul? Um. Well, first of all, because Jesus loves us so much, and He veils like veils His presence in bread and wine, we need to open our hearts, the eyes of our hearts so we can actually see what's going on that's invisible, but really happening. And that's the whole point of the liturgy of the word, that that God's word speaks to us in the beginning of mass, right? So we, we, we have the whole time in the homily and, and it's, it's supposed to open our hearts and open our eyes so that we can see what's invisible, but real. And so that we can be prepared to receive Jesus with our whole heart. And we say receive, but like, I want to be received. And and he only allows me to be received. If I'm, if I'm willing to that, if I want him to receive me. Right. So we open ourselves to be received and to receive his grace in return. The problem with mortal sin immortal mortal sin. So, so we all, we're all sinners. We all sin. That's just part of the, part of the game. Okay. And, and, and what's what's beautiful about holy communion is that our venial sins are actually forgiven that we, in receiving holy communion we are cleansed of sin and that just makes sense right because we're taken into god and nothing and nothing imperfect you know can can exist in him and so we are purified and we're made clean by the blood of the lamb again because we're received into that but when we have committed a mortal sin so a mortal sin Is something that's grave, like a grave sin, something seriously wrong. And what is seriously wrong? Well, specific sins that we know are seriously wrong. You can kind of look at the Ten ten Commandments, and any command, any any time we like, we straight up deliberately deliberately break one of the Ten Commandments in a serious way. That's a pretty good sign. That's like, okay, that's grave. But in order, so in order to commit a moral sin, it has to be grave. We have to know it's grave. It's serious. And we have to freely choose to do it. So it's like, you know, killing someone, for instance, Okay, obviously a serious thing, like very serious to kill someone. And so it's serious. Do I know it's serious? Yeah, you probably know it's serious. that it's not it's not good to take another life. But like, let's say it's in it's in self-defense or. It's you know, someone else is 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 like you're you're afraid or you have you have a gun to your head or like you know, like that's not complete freedom. It's only when we freely choose, like I know this is wrong, but I'm gonna do it. And you do it, that's a mortal sin. Boom. Because you have used your freedom to walk away, deliberately walk away from God. Not nothing else is pressing you. And so what happens is God says, Okay, you've chosen to separate yourself from my body. You've chosen to separate yourself from my body. And so the one answer about why we don't receive Holy communion with mortal sin on our soul is because if we were to receive Jesus, we actually wouldn't be received into him at all because we have chosen to walk away from him. And so that's one reason why the church says, if you are living in sin, if you have committed a mortal sin and have not confessed that sin, that you are not to receive Holy Communion because it is it, it is an outward sign of what's not actually happening inward. Like you could receive Holy Communion all these times and you would never receive the grace of being taken into Christ because you've chosen through your sin and your actions to separate yourself. And until you go to confession and and mend and heal that relationship, the grace that God wants to give you, we are not able to receive. So that's the first thing. That's why it's mercy to say you can't receive Holy Communion because that is... When we don't receive Holy Communion, it is an outward sign of the invisible reality that we are separated from Jesus by our choices, by our lifestyle. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is it's it's a desecration to the Eucharist. And actually, if we do that, Saint Paul says exactly I was thinking of. Yeah, so Saint Paul gets he's like basically examine yourself before you receive Holy Communion. And if you have some serious sin on your soul, you better take care of that first because. Instead of receiving salvation, you are receiving condemnation upon yourself. So when we receive Holy Communion and we're not in a state of grace, we are desecrating the Holy Eucharist and we are receiving condemnation upon ourselves because it's a, it's a fake sign. We are saying to Jesus, I, by receiving Holy Communion, you're saying, I want to be received into you. But through our sin and through our refusal to go to confession, we are saying, actually, Jesus, I don't want to be a part of you. And so Jesus then condemns us. He says, you're not coming to me for healing. Why are you receiving me in the sacrament? I, I want, You need to fix that first. And then, you know, Jesus wants us to be part of him. He he gave his life so that we could be part of him. And that's, just, that's the desire of his heart. Um, and so the more we rec- recognize that and the more we realize, like, how our sin affects Jesus and and can affect him and can make him sorrowful because he has a human heart. And uh, at the same time, the more we recognize how much he loves us and wants to show us his mercy and pour his mercy upon upon us in the sacrament of reconciliation, I think the more willing we are to prepare ourselves appropriately. And a final note on that, I just want to say I am, I have so much respect for people who refrain from receiving Holy Communion, whether it's because they know they're not in the state of grace or they know that they're in, uh, they're not in a valid marriage, or, you know, some lifestyle situation, you know, that, um, that's difficult, that we can always work on, we can work with, I can walk with you, I can, you know, if you come to me, and you come to the priest, whatever, um, they're willing to work with you to find freedom. But I'm so I have so much respect, because they show a reverence to the Blessed Sacrament, and they show something to Jesus, that they believe in the reality of, of the Eucharist, they believe that he's truly present and they know that they're not worthy at that time to receive him. And so that that I know uh, in the end of time, when when we face our judge, he is going to commend them in some way. I'm sure of it for having respect, even when they weren't in a state where they could receive him. So I, I think it's a beautiful thing
0: for sure. For sure. I know there was this one time for me where, like, I felt like I couldn't receive communion. And I was, I remember, like, leaving church because I had confession afterwards, and I was sobbing. So to continuously do that with, like, with what you were saying, if you're in an invalid marriage or anything like that, and to, I mean, hopefully you go to confession as soon as you can. But for people who do it continuously, I don't know how they do it because I know it, it tears me up for sure. Um, well, and, and, and yeah. for those
1: situations, for the, the the difficult, you know, marital situations, or whatever, where it's like you can't go to confession, like until right. until you resolve that, right? So, like, um, but but the, Satan always wants us to be afraid of the details. He wants us to feel trapped. He's the one that enslaves us, and he wants us to be like, oh, there's no way you can get out of this one, and that's never true. That's always a lie. And so it's about walking the walk and going on that journey and being willing. To move towards that freedom and trusting that God is not abandoning. And and that's the other thing. God hasn't just like said, well, until you figure that out, I'm not going to be a part of your life. Nope, that's not how it works. He's with you right now. And so he's going to be with you through the whole process. And there's freedom. There's always freedom. And there's always a way. And there's always hope. It's never, ever lost. But Satan wants us to think it's lost. Don't even try. So don't give in to Satan. Just start Taking little steps forward, talk to your priest, talk to someone who can help you, and uh, and and know that there's freedom and there's a fullness of life even in this life that's waiting for you that you haven't even tasted maybe in some in so many years that Jesus wants for you.
0: Amen to that. Okay, we're getting close to the end here. Do we know why other Christians stop believing or never believed in the t- in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist?
1: This will be a really quick answer because there's so much to say about this. But um, basically, one, they don't uh, understand John 6. They don't understand that it's not that, which is really sad, you know, because a lot of Christians, they are, you know, uh, what do they call themselves? Um, uh, I can't remember what the word is, but they're basically like just the word. What's that called?
0: It's Sola, sola scriptura. scriptura. There you go.
1: Sola Scriptura. So they're just about the word, but except when the word doesn't suit them. And John 6, I don't understand how they can be Sola Scriptura and not, like, see what Jesus is saying there. Um, but another connection with that, okay, is that they don't – a lot. many of these other Christians, thanks to, in large part, to Martin Luther. Martin Luther was reacting to – to, there, there was some what they call clericalism. So the hierarchy of the church, the priests and the bishops, and those who were in charge, were were abusing their power. Hundred percent, they were not. There was a lot that needed to change, and and, they, and it did. And so Luther was reacting against against that, but he went so extreme to to the point where he just basically, I, I think that the only sacraments he only really said like baptism, I think was a, was a, was one. Uh, he had an interesting understanding of the Eucharist, but the biggest problem was his problem with the priesthood. Because he was reacting against clericalism, he basically was saying, the priest is no different. He's just given a, a, a job, basically, like a, a role to, like, to lead and to teach or whatever. But there's not a sacramental reality there. Like, and, and so because he veered people away from the reality of the priesthood, meaning that God has ordained men to stand as Jesus and to continue to offer that sacrifice— which is not a symbol but a reality like to make present the invisible and that through holy orders we can make present Jesus's ministry um, throughout the ages and that this, that the church the holy catholic church is the sacrament of salvation for the salvation of the world for the for the whole world and so like Jesus this is he said this is my body and this is how I want to parcel out or I want to apply the merits of my, my sacrifice to, the, to all people in the form of these seven sacraments, which are done through holy orders. These sacraments are, are made effective through other than marriage and, you know, um, and baptism. You Anyone can baptize. Um, and so because they don't have the same sacramental economy and the priest is just another person and there's no significance to holy orders, then like the mass is just it's there's nothing else happening other than a remembrance and a remembrance in like the modern sense where it's like, well, yeah, we know that Jesus did this 2000 years ago and we remember it and we believe in him and we choose him as our, our Lord and savior, our personal Lord and savior. And we, we have his word cause we know that we can trust his word, but any of this other stuff, I, you know, like that, that's all like Catholicism, you know, they, they, they do these things, you know, and, and, uh, so that's my short answer. I think, I think because they have they have lost a sense of um, or have no context for holy orders and the priesthood, um, that that they lost um, the ability that that God has given has ordained men to make Him present again.
0: In terms of just everything that that we've been talking about, you know, understanding the Eucharist was this an aspect of Catholicism that you struggled with understanding maybe before you decided to become a priest or I'm just thinking about those who, uh, maybe, maybe you are Catholic, maybe you aren't Catholic who are listening to this and you're just trying to fully understand Jesus, um, and the best way that you can. And maybe this is something that you just really haven't quite grasped yet. So, so yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, honestly, <laughs> I struggle with it every day. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you just like the number of times. I mean, really every, like every time I consecrate, uh, you know, the, the the, oh, the, the, Eucharist, I, I have to force myself. Like I'm holding Jesus in my hands and I'm like, I, it takes everything in me to be like, this is no longer bread. Like this is Jesus. And 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 that and this wine is no longer wine this is his blood or sometimes like before like as as I'm leading up to the consecration and I look at the bread and the and the wine that's offered you know on the altar and I'm like I just think I'm like this is about to become the body and blood of Jesus Christ or I'll be sitting there in adoration and I'm looking at bread and I'm like Jesus I know that you have the words of eternal life I know that that you are present there but you know what? I can't feel like, I don't feel like you're present. I feel nothing. You know, I am really having a hard time concentrating. Um, but what I, what keeps me going is you know, a few things. And, and one is this, uh, we have to know that just being in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist changes us. And I remember a very holy, And wise man told me one time this man is incredible and uh and he says that you know he would he, he prays a holy hour every day and he said there are just so many times sometimes weeks sometimes months where he will come to prayer and all he can manage to say is jesus i'm here and you're there so i know something's happening and, like, that act of, that's a real act of faith because he's acknowledging that Christ is truly present even when he can't feel it or sense it or, like, he doesn't think anything's happening, but he's acknowledging it, and he's also acknowledging the fact that it is changing him, that there is real grace in the presence of Jesus, and that just by, like, for us to hold ourselves in his presence is, is something. And, like, you know, and the image that just came to mind, I'm like, you know, it's like you're making s'mores. You know, you, you got the marshmallow and you're putting it over the fire. And it's like you, you just know that, like, even though we can't have that same marshmallow burning feeling inside, that that's what's actually happening. Like that that I am standing before God. That's the other thing. which like it blows my mind. Like not only like, you know, it's it's not just like some guy. It's This is God. This is the one true God that I am kneeling before that I'm standing before that I'm sometimes sitting and lounging. Like it's like, I'm sitting here before God, like this isn't right. Like I got to like change my pot. I'm falling asleep in front of the living God. Like what? That's what happens. But, but also it, it also shows the, the great mystery of his love for us because once again, he's veiled. If we were to see Jesus in his glory, which we can ask that, like, why don't you just reveal yourself to us? Like, just show us. And like, even the, the apostles, the apostles in like, um, uh, recently in, in, in John, you know, I think it was Philip. Philip's just like, Hey, Jesus, just show us the father. And that'll be enough for us. If you just like, just one time, like just show him, show him to us. Right. And that'll be enough. And, and like, um, and Jesus is like, well, the father's in me and I'm in him, you know? Okay. In the in the great Joe and I way of being just let's just make things more confusing and start doing doing these like circles that he does for uh, for for like over and over. It's like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. But um, but he anyway, he's veiled. And the reason he's veiled is because if we were to see Jesus in his glory, we would have no choice. We wouldn't even be free. We would fall on our face in worship. Because the reality be made present to us, but he loves us so much and he loves our freedom so much that he knows that that would take away our freedom. And so he veils himself and he says, will you choose me in the hidden presence of bread? Will you choose me in this ordinary, like I am going to humble myself so, so much that not only am I going to let you res- like, eat me, okay, I'm eating God, but I'm also going to allow you to adore me. In the most humble way, in a way that, like, unless your heart truly chooses to connect with me, truly chooses to believe in me, you could, you will walk past me, and you won't even, you won't even care. So He gives us that that ability to ascend to Him in love, to choose Him in love, especially when it's difficult, especially when it's hard to sense Him or to to, to believe that it's the truly that He's truly present. We just go based on what He told us, and so we say. Jesus, you are there and I'm here and I know that something's happening, that I am in the presence being burned and purified by the fire of your love, even when I can't feel it. That's the reality. And so we, we fight for that every day. And j- just like any relationship, just like any, any journey in love, you have to fight for that love every single day. I mean, those who are married, like you know that. You have to choose to love your spouse every day. You can't just choose on your wedding day, and then that's it. No way. Every single day you choose, I'm going to will your good. I am going to serve you. I'm going to lay down my life for you because I've chosen you before heaven, before earth, and this is my life and my love and my vocation until death do we part. And the same way with Jesus, we say, Jesus, I love you even when I can't feel like I'm loving you. I serve you even when I can't feel like I'm serving you, and I'm standing in your presence because I know is for my good. And I know you are truly there. I know, I know it. I might not know it with my heart, but I know it with my mind because you've told me that. And so I'm going to walk in faith.
0: I hope you have enjoyed listening to my interview with father Andrew, but once again, I have another interview all about the Eucharist and it is with father Brad Doyle. So if you want to get another take on the Eucharist, That has some similarities and some differences. Just keep on listening for the next episode. But just in case you do have to stop for today or whatever your situation is, from one young Catholic to another, preach the truth as if you had a million voices. It is the silence that kills the world. St. Catherine of Siena.